So as we continue our series through the book of Thessalonians, we have this as our theme this morning, God's call on your life, holiness. God's call on your life is holiness. You know, often we want to um, think about what God's call is on our life. We want to know, especially as a young person, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, what does God want me to do? What's His call for me in this life? The older you get, the less that question becomes a reality for you. And I heard one pastor, he put it like this, he said to a group of young people, Christians, he says, to how to figure out God's call on your life, it's this, he says, where your gifts, talents, and passions meet a great need in this world. There you have found your calling. So where your gifts and your passions meet a great need in this world, uh, there you have found your God-given calling. And that's sweet. That's nice. I don't think we want to start there, though. I don't think that's where we want to start with our God-given calling. I think you notice that Christ is amiss from that statement where your passions meet your need, and that's where God's called you to serve. Well, where's Christ in that? So the, actually, the pastor went on. He said, I, I don't like that definition. <laughs> he says, here's the definition you need to hear. When God calls a man, a woman, or a young person, he bids him or her come and die. When God calls you, when Jesus calls you, he calls you to come bid. He bids you to come and die. Those are the words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who stood up against the Third Reich in the German war, the against Hitler in the Second World War, and he lost his life. You see, when it comes to our calling, we're called to follow Jesus and die to self. And the idea of dying to self is a call, ultimately, to holiness. And God is very, very, very passionate about that call on your life, a call to be holy. And I think the one sin that entangles us the most in this call is the sin of sexual impurity. This call to holiness, this is what uh, Francis Dixon has written. He said, today this great doctrine of holiness has been almost lost sight of. Consequently, many of God's people are living joyless, powerless, and fruitful li fruitless lives, and the church's witness in the world is weak and ineffective because of our lack of holiness, and in particular, our lack of purity. It seems where the devil has gained the strongest foothold, even in the church, where the lifeblood of passion for evangelism and prayer and concern for the loss is draining from us the most, it's in the area of our sexuality, in the area of our sexual, of sexual immorality. It may be the greatest cause of our joyless, powerless, and fruitful, fruitless life in the service of our King. And this morning we're going to address that reality. 
and I do so with a degree, maybe a high degree of trepidation. This is a difficult topic to preach. There is fear that I might say it the wrong way. There's fear of sounding judgmental or self-righteous, which I am not. I do not stand on any moral high ground when it comes to this theme. There's fear of opening up deep wounds from the past because some of you have been victims of sexual immorality. And there's fear that I'm going to overwhelm you because of past wrongs you have done and the shame will overwhelm you maybe. You see, when it comes to sexual sin, it reaches the core of our humanity. It hits right into our very soul. And I want you to know that I'm sensitive to that, also as a fallen follower of Jesus. And I also understand that there are parents here who want to guard their children's ears from this topic or parts of this topic. I know that. And I've tried to keep that in mind as well as I prepare this message. But I also need to preach what is in front of me in this text, and it's a pretty hard-hitting text. So I want to encourage you parents, if you have children, to be open with your children after the service, and you might need to explain a few things to them in a sensitive way. But children, I need you to listen to me just for two seconds here, if you're under 10, say. Some things in this message that I'm going to share this morning, you will not understand, and that's okay. In fact, I hope you don't understand some of the things I'm going to talk about. But I want you to know today that the Lord loves you. That's most important. And he also wants to prepare you to become a teenager and then an adult who loves God and wants to do God's will when it comes to relationships with another boy or another girl. And I get it. When I was six or seven, every other girl had cooties and stuff. Like, I didn't like to talk about this stuff. But you will grow into a teenager, and one day you will grow into an adult. And what the Lord wants to do with you this morning, or what he wants to do with you in your life, is help you to be ready to do his will, even when you grow into a teenager and an adult. So we're going to open God's word now. We're going to get right to the text. The text that we find ourselves in is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first eight verses. I'm going to read that with you and proclaim the gospel from this text. There we read. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you this Holy Spirit. Let us ask the Lord for a blessing over this message. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can open your word this morning. In some ways, to have quite a challenging, difficult text. I, I wrestled with it, as you know, this week. I prayed over this text much because I want to say it well. I want to say it properly. I want to say it sensitively in the hope, Father, that we can become more like Jesus, in the hope, Father, that we can be more holy as we are called to be. Lord, we delight in the fact that you've made us holy. Now help us to live as holy people. Bless us now as we open your word. Open our hearts to receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the theme for this morning's sermon is taken from our text. God calls us, God's call on your life, holiness. And I'm going to break this into three parts, three questions I'm going to ask against the text this morning. The first question is this, what does it mean to live a holy life? What does it mean to live a holy life? The second is, how does God motivate us to live a holy life? And third, how does God empower us to live a holy life? So let's begin. What does it mean to live a holy life? Well, I think it first means simply this. To live a holy life is to live a life that pleases God. That pleases God. You see, Paul writes in verse 1, he writes these words. He says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. That's what we've instructed you to do. Now, you have to back up just a little bit to get a little bit of this context. So Paul is writing this probably in, in Corinth to Thess the church in Thessalonica. He's, he's, he's miles away or kilometers away from them, but he has already gone to them and he's already shared the gospel with them. He's told them that they have to have faith in Jesus Christ, who is their Savior, who stands under God's wrath on their behalf and, and has died for them. But part of that salvation reality, you understand, when you come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, is to turn away from sin. It's called repentance. And in particular, in his context, to turn away from sexual sins. This was a pagan culture. They had cult prostitutes at the temples. They had extramarital affairs. A lot of the men had mistresses. There was so much sexual activity happening there. And he says, you have to turn away from that. And, 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 and he says, as you have already done. He's commending them for their growth in this area. But I thought as, if Paul was writing to Mercy Church this morning... He may have to intensify the encouragement, I don't know, when it comes to sexual perversion and our encouragement to stay, flee or flee from sexual perverseness. He would know that 5.5 trillion hours were spent looking at porn last year around the world. 5.5 trillion hours. That's 60% of the internet used to consume, consume by sexual perversion. Paul would know that over 40% of marriages are ending in divorce in Canada. And that marriage is becoming increasingly less common in Canada as 25% of couples now live in common law. 
You'd also know that the biblical definition of marriage has been redefined against God's holy will to include same-sex union. He would know that. He would know that how social media, how movies, how books are filled with sensuality that fuels the fire of lust even in the souls of God's holy people. He would know all that. And he would have to encourage us this morning. And he does encourage us this morning because these words to the church in Thessalonica, also in a very sexually charged city, transcend the cultures and the ages that separate us from Thessalonica and make it a word for today. We are called today to live in a way that pleases God even in a sexually charged society. We live, he says, to please God. And that word live is actually directly translated to be walk. Where we walk and how we walk, not the style of our walk, but how we walk spiritually is all part of what it means to please God. Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we filled with what the Spirit delights us to be filled with, filled with truth and filled with holiness as we live out our life on this earth to please God? That's what a holy life is about. It delights in pleasing God. And therefore, for a holy life to be lived that pleases God, Paul says, we have to, we have to avoid sexual immorality. We have to. There's no compromise here. This is verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. We're just going to break that apart a little bit this morning so you know exactly what he's saying here. The word sanctified here is also translated as sanctification, and it's a state of being. It's a state of being. How are you being a follower of Jesus? Now, let me explain. You see, when Christ died for you and me, we read in Scripture, and we know in Scripture, that he justified us. He said, well, what's he, what does that mean? That means by faith, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe that God declares us righteous on account of Christ's finished work. So Christ died for us, he bore the wrath of God for our sins, and his righteousness becomes our righteousness. So by faith, we are declared righteous. We have a legal status now before the Father in heaven as righteous people. That's justification in Christian theology. Extremely important. But, but, but God didn't end there. He knew that after we were justified, after we are, our legal status is now a new creation, a redeemed follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, after that status is given to us, he knows that there's still indwelling sin in our life. So how does God deal with that indwelling sin in our life? Well, that's the whole theology of sanctification. And what he means by sanctification is simply this, that God sets us apart. As, as followers of Jesus, he sets us apart. He calls us sanctified. That's our status now in Christ. We're sanctified people, holy people, the holy ones, the saints, you could call ourselves. But then our state of being is to live out of that sanctification, is to live a sanctified life, is to live a holy life. 
So Paul says, God's will that you should be sanctified, that your life should live, live, be lived out in holiness. How? By avoiding sexual immorality. That's part of the process. So the word avoid can also be translated as abstain. The word in Greek means stay away from, but so does the word in English. Avoid in English means keep away from or stop oneself from doing something. That's pretty simple, eh, kids? To avoid something, you just um, stop yourself from doing it. Paul's pretty, pretty passionate about this theme of avoiding, and I'm just going to say that in two different ways here. First, he's passionate about this theme of avoiding because he says you should avoid, and that in, you know, here we go, kids, we're going to do a bit of a grammar lesson here. Ready for this? Ready? He's going, that's a command, okay? In, in, in grammar, we call that the imperative, if you don't know what the imperative is, you ask your mom and your dad this afternoon. So what's the imperative? The imperative is a command. It's a simple command. Don't touch that. It's a command. Avoid sexual immorality. And, and, and not only is it a command, it's done in the present tense. Now I'm getting really technical here this morning. But the present tense means that it's not in the past, it's not a completed action, and it's not something that we have to think about in the future. No, every single day we wake up in the morning, Paul is saying you need to avoid sexual immorality. It's in the present tense, that's meaning it's a constant reality until the day the Lord Jesus takes you home. Avoid sexual immorality until the day you die. And I don't care if you're 85 years old. The temptations still come at you. Been a pastor long enough to know that, because I'm not 85. But what he's saying is simply this make a clear cut from every single sexually perverse, immoral activity in your life and do it today. Make a clear cut from every single sexual, immoral, perverse activity in your life and do it today. That's what he's saying. And you have to, if you read enough of Paul, you will realize that he gets back to this theme in almost every single one of his letters. He's very, very passionate about this. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. Don't hang around. Romans 8, verse 13, he says, put to death the deeds of the flesh, the misdeeds of the body. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says there can't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity in you. This is extremely radical, I think you understand. Let me put this into a context. You know, say, say you're in a house and the house was burning down. Flames were lapping up against the wall, going up into the attic do you think it's time to stay in that house, kids, if there's flames lapping up against the wall and going up into the attic? No. Would you get a marshmallow stick and put some marshmallows on it and roast a marshmallow when your house is burning down? No, you wouldn't. What would you do? You would try to get, call the fire ambulance, call the, call the fire department. Yes, you would. You would run. You would flee that house. You would, it's not safe to be there. You would avoid that house. You would run from that house. You would get out of that house as quickly as possible. Here it comes. 
You cannot, you cannot think that you can coexist in a burning, passionate, sex-filled life that's impure. It will destroy you. You have to flee sexual immorality. You cannot coexist with sexual immorality because that sexual immorality, that practice, that perverseness will ultimately burn you up. That's what Paul's saying. The word for sexual immorality is porneo. Maybe you hear the word porn in that. That's where we get it from. The technical definition for that is fornication. So you say, well, what is fornication? What is sexual immorality? Well, I'm going to tell you what it's not, and then work backwards from that. This is not sexual immorality. This is not fornication. When sex is enjoyed exclusively between one man and one woman in the bonds of holy matrimony, in the bonds of marriage. That's not sexual fornication. It's the opposite of fornication. When sexual, listen, when sexual intimacy is enjoyed in a marriage between one man and a woman, between a husband and wife, with a clear conscience, God is pleased. And God delights in that, actually. That's God's design, right, from the very beginning. That's how sex is to be enjoyed. Genesis 2, verse 24 reads, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's how he designed it, right from the very beginning. We should celebrate that. And listen, no progressive cultural ideologies, no government legislation on accommodating same-sex marriage, no human social construct can, can change this divine definition of marriage, that sex belongs exclusively to the marriage between a husband and a wife. That's biblical, and that's ground zero, and that's not fornication. Everything outside of that, listen, everything outside of that is porneo, is fornication. Everything from premarital sex or engaging in sexual activity that awakens the fire of intimacy in a relation before marriage is fornication. Looking at pornographic material, fornication. Watching sexually charged movies or reading sensual literature or lusting after women or lusting after men or homosexual activity or sexting or extramarital affairs or one-night hookups, whatever the case may be, and the list goes on and on, that's all in God's holy eyes seen as fornication. And I believe that the smorgasbord for sexual perversion in the 21st century that we are experiencing here in Canada would have made the pagans in Thessalonica squirm. That's how perverse we've become in this world. And God calls out to his children to avoid sexual immorality in order to please him and to live the life that he has called us to live. He calls us away from that. He says, avoid, flee from sexual immorality. You cannot coexist with it. But then he continues, he says in verse 4, but learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans. 
who do not know God. John Owen was a Puritan preacher and writer, and he talks about the mortification of sin. And he writes this somewhere. He says, let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his loss. You're like, what is he saying? We'll read that again, and then I'll translate. That's old English. Let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his lust. I'll translate. You cannot grow in holiness if you let lust reign in your mind and in your heart. If every day you're driven by lust, you are not driven by holiness. That's the point. No, Owen would go on to say, and we've said this before, you need to be killing that sin or that sin will be killing you. That's what growth and holiness looks like. That's what it means to live a holy life, to avoid sexual immorality, to control your body, and to live to please God. But here's the second point. How does God motivate us now to live a holy life? We kind of know what it means to live a holy life. I hope you know what it means to live a holy life. The question is, uh, how does God motivate us to live a holy life? It's a good question. Verse 1, back to verse 1, he says, We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, we are now, as in fact you are living. Now, listen, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And then verse 2, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. We, we can't miss, miss this. He's urging us to live this life out in the Lord Jesus and by his authority. That's so important. Our, you see, our, our life of holiness, our, our readiness to flee sexual immorality in whatever shape or form that comes to you, is all bound up, listen, is all bound up in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That has to be central. You see, Paul, Paul is writing to saints. He's writing to holy ones. He's writing to Christians. And, and what's so beautiful about the Christian faith is that although Jesus knows our dark and even sometimes sordid past, he knows that our flesh can be so easily inflamed by lust, and sometimes we act out in lust. He, he knows all that sin, but the reality is, is that he bore that sin on the cross. That's the joy of the Christian faith, that I carry that sin no more because he carried it for me. So that, so that we can start over. That's why. Jesus, he gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on his shoulders so we could start over, sings NF, in a song called Start Over. You can Google it. I know. Paul would write the same thing. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hallelujah. Christ has made us new. We are not defined by our sexual sins, past or present. And neither will Jesus let us be defined by them either. No, you are a new people by God's grace, and now he says, now live like that. That's the motivator. 
Be who you are. I said you live in the severe of, 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 of sanctification. You are called into a holy life. We're going to get back to that at the end of the sermon. But you're called into a holy life. Now live in that holy life that he's called you to live in his power. Kevin DeYoung, a preacher from the States, put it like this. Our culture says, just be yourself. You be you. Whatever you desire to do, whatever desires of the flesh you have, you just desire that and you fulfill your desires. That's what the culture says today. Self-help doctrine says, you can find a better you if you just dig a little bit deeper into the old you. That's self-help. The moralist doctrine says, just be a better person for crying out loud. And Christ says, you are a new person. Now, I want you to live like you are one. You're not that guy who is scanning the internet, gratifying his flesh at night. That's not you. You're not that girl who's looking for a one-night stance. That's not you. You're not that person who does not shield his heart from movies and books and magazines that only fuel the fire of lust within you. That's not you. No, you are a follower of Jesus. You are holy. You are set apart for him. That's the first motivator, but here's the second motivator. That's the encouragement side. Now he motivates with fear. And sometimes in Scripture, God motivates his people with fear. He has the right to do that. If you don't do this, that's going to happen. That's motivating by fear. Depends on what that is. But here it is in Scripture in verse 6. He says, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. We do not know exactly what Paul had in mind here, but most think Paul has extramarital affairs in view or relationships, listen, or relationships where one, often the male, is dominant and demands intimacy even when the other person, the female, says no or it's not right. And often this happens prior to marriage, though sometimes even in marriage this is a matter to contend with. So to make this a bit more concrete, women, listen to me, younger women especially, if you can keep a man only by letting him touch you, He's not worth keeping. That's what Paul's saying. He's harming you. Don't let him do that. And don't send him pics either. Paul writes, their sin will not go unpunished. You see, sexual sin always, always, always hurts other people. Even when it's this self-gratification, there's people hurt on the other side. And God's word is clear. He will punish those who commit such sins. This is, this is a motivator through fear. Don't enter into the fray. Don't go there because there's punishment on the other side. He is a holy God. But listen, he's threatening judgment as a motivator so that his people will turn from evil if they're entering into this work and seek forgiveness before it's too late. 
And as long as you have breath, you can always call out for forgiveness. To hear Jesus say, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will forgive you. I will guard your heart. I'll, I'll, I'll guard your steps. Just come to me is the way that we deal with a motivator of fear. We return to Christ in repentance and say, that was me. And I've hurt people. Forgive me, O oh God. And seek the forgiveness of others. That's the motivator. We're going to close with this. How does God empower us to live a holy life now? Just quickly. How does God empower us to live a holy life? This is verse 7 and 8. He says, um, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. I love this verse. What's it saying? Well, it's saying this, as someone wrote, you're not helpless in this battle for purity. God, listen, God did not make you a jellyfish. And everybody says, amen. God did not make you a jellyfish and set you adrift in the currents of your lustful desires. That's not you. You're not a jellyfish. No, what God did is called you, I said, into a state of holiness. And as we learn, this, this is a place, you could say, where we breathe in the atmosphere, the oxygen in the atmosphere of his holy will. That's what God's called you into that place. Now, let me just explain that just very briefly. One of the reasons he puts you into the family of believers called the Church of Jesus Christ and one of the reasons for many of you God has put you into a Christian home where Christ is Lord one of the reasons why you're called to serve others and love others and walk with others and teach others and guide others, one of the reasons why he puts you under the preaching of the word every week, one of the reasons why you gather for Bible study in small groups, one of the reasons he, he tethers you to a small group, even sometimes to a prayer group or to an accountability partner, one of the reasons why he does all of that is so that you are living in the atmosphere of his holy will. He's, he's supporting you. He's protecting you. When, when, when you're by yourself, it's so much easier to just go down the path of sexual perversion and sexual sin. But when you gather with God's people, holiness pervades. It should in your marriages, in your homes, in the church, in your Bible studies, in your small groups, holiness should prevail because you're breathing in the atmosphere of His holy will in those environments. Those are safe places. They should be. He didn't call you for impurity. He called you in, literally in holiness. That means into the place of holiness. That's where He's called you. One of the reasons why I keep telling people, you need to be coming to church on Sunday. You need to be going to your small group. Those are the walls of God protecting you in your holy walk. You stay away from this, you're going to get cold, and the devil's going to be tempting you much more often. You stay away from small group, you're going to face the consequences of that. I'm not threatening you, I'm just telling you. God loves you, so he puts you into an atmosphere where you can grow in holiness, and this is where it begins. But it doesn't end just with that reality. Here it comes, finally. And you are gifted 
with the Holy Spirit. He finishes with the power source. I love that. That's the trump card, you could say. That's the fuel that keeps this engine running. That's the power that allows us to stand against the powers of this dark age and the constant barrage of sensuality that continues to flow over us, it seems, in this dark world. We have the Holy Spirit. Literally, Paul says, it's the Spirit, the Holy One. He's very technical here. We don't get this in the translation. It's actually the Spirit, the Holy One. And the reason why he does this is because he wants to remind the people of Thessalonica, and I want to remind you people here at Mercy Church, that God is passionate about your holiness. He's the Spirit, the Holy One, because he wants you to live in holiness. The Spirit of God is passionate. So what's he doing? He's living in me. He's living in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. He's transforming you. He's making you more holy so that you become a lot more like Jesus. That's what he wants. That's what he gets all fired up about. Don't deny that power. It's your guard against the evils of sexual immorality. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, now that's powerful. Would you agree with me? To raise someone from the dead, I've been to too many funerals and I pray that they would rise up again. It's so painful. But the spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead also gives life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit in you. He gives us life. What kind of life? That new life in Christ, that life that is able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. That's the spirit that lives within us in Christ. It's powerful. And because of the Holy Spirit, it's it's possible, it's very, very possible to fight and win battles against impurity. The Holy Spirit makes it possible to live a life that's joy-filled, that's even powerful, not racked by guilt and shame and tethered to impurity, but tethered to freedom, to life, to joy. That's what the Spirit's doing. Because listen, the Holy Spirit who lives in you is stronger, is stronger than he who is in the world, who is tempting you in a thousand ways. He's stronger. So yes, loved ones, God's all about your holiness. He's called us to live holy lives in the atmosphere of his grace. We're not jellyfish that are drift in a sea of lust. You're not roasting marshmallows close to the fire of sexual immorality. No, you are human, redeemed by grace to live as men and women set apart for Christ for his glory. That's why you're here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your call on our life. We thank you, Lord, that you are so passionate about our holiness. God, may we be that passionate about our holiness. And if there are sexual sins happening right now in our life, we pray in the power of the name of Jesus that we will excise those, that they will remove those, that will flee from those sexual sins that will seek to live in the atmosphere of your grace. And there are times where we need to be alone, for sure. But in those times, may we set Jesus Christ as Lord by the power of your Holy Spirit. For the young people who are going through their teens and into their early 20s and 
mid-twenties maybe, who are not married yet, but may be inflamed with passion. Lord, guard their hearts. Protect them. Help them not to live in the sea of lustful desires where only darkness and perversity and shame and guilt roam. But help them to live in the atmosphere of your grace, standing up for you, knowing that you have empowered us by your spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us so that we can have life in our mortal bodies, lives dedicated to you. Fill us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. And be pleased, O God, in our walk. In Jesus' name. Amen.